Welcome to another edition of Carry On with Carrie Lloyd. Carrie is an internationally known and published author of countless articles on life, love, faith, relationships, and dating, as well as two books, The Virgin Monologues and Prude. She's also a speaker and pastor and the host of this little podcast called Carry On. We talk about hard-hitting topics. We talk about sex and politics. We talk about drinking and thinking and not thinking and being and doing. And why are we here? Welcome. Hello, darlings. I don't know why I always sound like Joyce Grenfell from the old vintage 80s comedies in the UK. But anyway, this feels right to start off like that. I'm with my friend Kimberly Johnson and um, today we're talking about adoption. Um, Kimberly, hello. Hello. Hello, my sweet one. Do you like how I try to mirror your (laughs) accent on that? (laughs) It happens everywhere I go. I go into a supermarket, I ask for a can of beans, they look at me with a blank expression and then they ask me if I'm from England, I go yes. Have we established? Great. Can you show me where the beans are, please? Like, it's just, I, I literally just give them time to digest the fact yes. that I'm English. Do they ever ask if you're Australian? And isn't that fun? All the time. And, yeah. and they go, and then they go, they just look at the face that I make and they go, oh, sorry. sorry not, you're obviously, not that. you're obviously, obviously not. South African. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do get that as well, which I'm surprised at. Anyway, um, so Kimberly, you and I have been friends for a couple of years. But you are very different from mine. You're one of my best friends. And I know it's, it's always a bit of a cheesy thing to go best friends, but you're the go-to girl that I have in, in the journey of life. And, Thank you, friend. Um, I think it's really... The reason why I'm bringing you on to this one today is, I mean, we can talk about a plethora of things. I first met Kimberly when um, I was doing your class on um, anti-sex trafficking and the sex trafficking industry. You were doing a class about how to abolish it and uh, with Bob, your husband. Mm-hmm. And I was just just blown away by the amount of information that you knew about the slave industry and and what were the problems with this particular climate and um kim has got the most astonishing stories to um retell and um one day we'll probably get you back on for the same for a different topic for exactly that topic Great. so that was what five years ago i think five or six yeah yeah and so that was so you were kind of training me up before i went to the philippines and then started to do all this kind of stuff the mission work that we were doing with anti-sex trafficking in the philippines but the reason why I want you to on today is because I want to talk about adoption. Yes. One of the main problems that we have, I think, at the moment, um, I was a um, anti-crisis, um, a pregnancy crisis counsellor back in the day in England. Gosh, probably about ten years ago now. And um, so my heart had a had a big um, passion for adoption back then, and realizing that it was actually become less and less popular due to the fact of abortion and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. in England. So it's not as much of an option in England as it is in America. Yeah. But you are a mother of five, mm-hmm. and do you, just tell us a little bit about your journey of being a mother. But you've also adopted. Yes. Yes. So I <clears throat> wanted to adopt from the time I was three years old. Um, three. Uh huh. When I was three, I made my mom throw away all my white baby dolls, and I only wanted black baby dolls. <laughs> and You're a racist against yourself. Yes, I was. <laughs> Apparently, that was, that was the issue. And my mother obliged me, clearly. I was strong-headed at three years old. I have one of those children now. Um, and so I knew I wanted to adopt from the time I was little. Wow. And for Bob... I remember when we were dating and I told him that I wanted to adopt and Mm. he was not into it. And so it was the question of, 
is that a conviction or a preference? Yeah. <laughs> so he spent a couple of days and came back and said, you know, it's a preference. And I think the Lord really did something on his heart to where by the time we actually got into the process, he was equally, if not more passionate about it than I ever wow. could have been. Wow. Um, so we actually started off on our adoption journey when I was eight months pregnant with my third, with Eli. Yeah. And I remember I get I got sent a large packet of information because Lord knows there's far too much paperwork. Um, I got sent this large packet of information, and the first thing was just this large questionnaire that you had to fill out, and it was maybe, I don't know, 50 or 75 questions. And they were questions that were asked sort of from the standpoint of the birth mother. So the questions that the birth mother would be asking in order for them to put a book together for her to select you as a family. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there with this, you know, quite large eight-month pregnant belly, and the first question is, what do you want to say to a mother that's considering giving you her child? Wow. And, and I mean, I, I got through the, I got through the first line and I'm, I'm wrecked. I'm just completely undone because I'm, I'm pregnant and I, and I'm thinking of what it would feel like to be in this scenario, the exact scenario that I felt like I was in of of being pregnant, obviously different life circumstances. Um, and then just went through over the next week or two and just filled out this, filled out this book. And it was interesting because through that journey, I think my focus went from having a baby to the birth mom. Wow. And so the birth mom became a really big focus really early on. Um, so our adoption journey turned out to be a little rocky, which I think mm. most adoption journeys are. Mm. Um, I know it's kind of an easy thing that a lot of people say like, oh, adoption shouldn't be so expensive. There's so many kids that need families and so many good families that can't afford it. And, um, but I think, I think it's hard for a lot of reasons that are necessary. Mm. Um, and I think there's something about the struggle to get you there that... Mm. Uh, you get to see the miracles of God along the way that on the days when life gets hard with kids, because life with, is, is hard with kids, mm. you're reminded of those pillars along the way that, that wow. kind of were established before you got the baby. So yeah, for us, we actually went through two failed adoptions. We had um, <clears throat> one birth mom who, she was 19 years old. She actually wrote escort on her adoption application that she was working as an escort. She had been working as a, quote, escort since she was 15. Um, and she was pregnant with twin girls. And so, and I was pregnant with Sadie at the time. And so in the chronological line, yes. how, many, how many children are we talking about now? So Sadie is... So Sadie is in my tummy. Yeah. So the twins were born on November the 1st. Yeah. And Sadie was born December 3rd. Wow. So we had prepared everything for triplets. And I mean, literally people from all over the world that we had never met. Somebody bought all three of our cribs. Somebody bought us a $1,200 stroller. Somebody spent uh, $1,200 also on each of the three car seats. Yeah. I mean, like, so we just saw this like miraculous, yeah. um, kind of <clears throat> financial blessings pour out when we, I remember, I remember the day where you were at the front of the church and there was just money poured all over you from, mm-hmm. from the congregation. And mm-hmm. I just thought, gosh, what an amazing moment yeah. to be given. And my heartbreaking during this journey mm-hmm. after that was the first picture that came to my mind as the, as the journey went on, but carry on. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, and that's something about, you know, when you're, when you're sort of going through a process like this publicly, I think, mm. I think it's a very personal decision for each individual going through it yeah. because it's such a roller coaster. And yeah. so it's, I think it should be a, a big intentional choice. This would be my first like word of caution, advice, wisdom is that it's an intentional choice whether or not you go through it publicly or privately Yeah. and you can't let anyone else's convictions come off on you. Yeah. As to what you're supposed to do in that journey. Wow. Um, so our birth mom changed her mind two weeks prior. 
And, and contract. If you have a, do you have a contract by that? Point? We have a contract. We had, we had paid in about twenty five thousand yeah. dollars. A lot of that is we had covered all of her living expenses because okay. she was on bed rest because it was twins. Yeah. Um, so we had paid all of her living expenses, and that's just the risk. You know, mm. there's just risk, and it was the mm. risk, and it's a risk that you know that you take. Mm. Um, and so she changed her mind two weeks prior. And I remember the day that the twins were born on November first. Bob and I went out on a date. We kind of did a date day. Um, and just really had to get our hearts right because all of a sudden it wasn't about us celebrating that we're getting ready to have another baby. Yeah. It's that there's not three cribs in a room. There's two empty ones, not a filled wow. one. And so it was almost like we had to condense our grief journey a little bit, even though it sort of felt like an abortion in some ways yeah. because um, the love that I felt for them was absolutely equal to mm. what I felt for Sadie. Um, no different. <clears throat> so then... We navigated that, packed up cribs, fast forward a couple of months, and um, a girl that we had worked with in an anti-trafficking organization that's in Northern California reached out to us on social media and says, hey, I hear that you were adopting twins and it failed, um, and I'm pregnant with twins. Would you be interested in adopting my babies? And wow. So it was like one of those quick, let me pray about that, yes. <laughs> um, which in hindsight is like, ooh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And so we said yes. We actually did pray about it. We said yes. And um, with this one, we had a lot closer relationship with her. So we actually brought her into our home. And my kids kind of called her auntie. And, um, you know, had a, had, a, had a much closer relationship. She had sent, sent us all the sonograms and everything along the way. We were very closely involved. I remember the day that she called us to tell us it was a boy and a girl. And we're, like, jumping up and down in downtown wow. Reading. And, um, you know, so, had again, had those named. Um, Cohen Bryant Zed was the boy. Um, and then we actually reused the name Ellie. It was a different, the, 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 the complete name, but the name Ellie was one that we really felt like the Lord told us to use with our adoption that ended up happening. So at 26 weeks pregnant, she calls me in the middle of the night and says she'd lost both babies. And so I'm, Bob was in Ellie <coughs> at the time. And so I'm obviously just kind of shipwrecked and call Bob. Bob flies home and a few days later, maybe a day or two later, it wasn't too long. So we, we went ahead and announced that, that the babies had, had passed away and just were asking people for prayers for our family at that time because it was just, it was a traumatizing year. My mom had passed away that year. It was just a hard year. And so just asking people for prayer. And um, so then uh, about a day later, her adoption counselor that we hired for her, her therapist said, did you hear hospital noises in the background? And I'm like, it was one o'clock in the morning. Of course I didn't hear hospital noises yeah. in the background. Like, I'm not listening for them. But it just got this small little voice in the back of my head. That's a great question. And, and then from there, my friend Christina went on online and found every single sonogram picture on Google Image. <gasps> and because of the fact that she had signed medical, us having medical release, we were able to call her OBGYN and find out she had never been pregnant. So, I mean, it was just shocking we're now about $40,000 into the journey. Did you get any of that money back? <clears throat> no. Mm -mm. No, she she actually, it's a, it's a felony in the state of California. Yeah. Um, this is really going to encourage people to adopt I right know. now. <laughs> <laughs> Go adopt guys. a baby. We should pray for you. Go That's adopt our... a baby right now. <laughs> right now. It's really awesome. Um, um, no, maybe just go to a sonogram appointment with <laughs> Yeah, that's See you pregnant to death. No. That's awesome. Sorry. Um, but this is real. This, no. I did actually want to cover some of this stuff because I think, I think people get fearful about adoption, actually, to be honest with you, on many different mm -hmm. reasons. And I've had friends, I had a friend I'm 
one of my other friends, they raised all this money. She had had cervical cancer, so couldn't actually be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so she and her husband raised all this money. And I, I remember putting money and we gave her a baby shower. And we were all, talk, all talking about the fact that we don't have to worry about getting the body back. She's, you know, mm -hmm. made all these sweet little jokes. And then um, knew she was going off to the, the, the state in which they were collecting the baby. And then um, she held the baby um, in a different room. And then the baby was being nursed by the mother. And then all of a sudden there was silence for about 12 hours. And over that period of time the mother changed her mind just after she'd given birth. And it was quite a heart-wrenching moment oh, yeah. to go back to the empty baby seat mm -hmm. in the car that they were going to take the, the mm -hmm. child home with. Um, but for me, in my kind of passion for adoption, even though I've, I, that could easily throw someone off, but mm -hmm. actually for me, I'm like, I so love the redemption stories, mm -hmm. knowing that they ended up adopting the most. And they were like, actually, for whatever the reasons were that that happened, it makes perfect. It was this bittersweet thing because they wanted mm -hmm. them to be with the mothers. Yes. And yet at the same time, you know, this longing to want to adopt themselves. Mm -hmm. So you'll carry on with your journey. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think that that's really good because I mean the moment that our birth mom um, got in the car and left Ellie, yeah, wow, was for us just probably hard. I mean, harder than any of the other ones for yeah. her, for yeah. for her, for Ellie, for for the whole scenario. And it was this. <clears throat> some people say that adoption is Plan B, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mm. I think that Ellie was crafted to be in our home. Like I mm. think she was created for us. I mean, mm. she, she completes our family in a way that I can't even describe. Um, yeah. I can't imagine your family without her. No, I mean, mean, no. She's and she, kind of like the life and soul. At she, moments. she is she, totally, Absolutely. she provides mm -hmm. the entertainment. Yes. All the others. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so Ellie, <clears throat> this is, and this is where, this is where it's beautiful, right? Like this is, this is the redemption. Um, so for us, uh, we, with the adoption that turned out to be adoption fraud, mm. um, to answer your question, do we get any of that money back? The judge actually ordered for her to pay restitution okay. to us. Um, we declined to take mm. restitution. She will have a felony on her record. Um, what does that mean? Just for a Brit, what does restitution mean? Uh, she has to pay money back. So any okay. money that we spent, she has to pay us back. Okay. Yeah. And you declined. Mm -hmm. We declined that. Yeah. And I think it was maybe, I don't know. Ten to twelve thousand dollars somewhere yeah. in that range, I think. Yeah. Um, so then with Ellie, we, we were not able to publicly announce that the babies weren't dead um, because it was an active investigation. So oh, wow. we had all these people all over the world that were oh, praying for gosh. us. And, you know, people who had lost their own babies that were like, Oh, my baby was there to meet your babies in heaven. Just I mean, just oh, horrible. Wow. Um, and kind of like one on one having to tell people. Um, but weren't able to publicly tell anyone. Wow. So I text our adoption attorney when we were driving to Texas, and this was my first time ever going back to Texas since both my parents had passed away, and the house that I was brought home from the hospital in, grew up in, my mom passed away in, had been sold. So a lot of what represented home was gone. And so mm. it was going to be a hard trip to Dallas, and um, so we were driving there, and I texted our adoption attorney, and I said, listen, I said, I'm telling people. I don't even care about the investigation. I don't care if she knows. I don't care if she gets read. That, does not, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I can't get one more email where I have to explain this whole thing all over again. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to talk to the investigators tomorrow, but I'm actually in a meeting right now with a birth mom. Are you interested in a four month old? And wow. so of course I'm in, I'm in my, we're in our, we call it big black. It's like our big tall van, our big it's, 12 passenger. It's like a giant minibus, yeah. basically, <laughs> yes, it, which it you is. have to when you have this many children. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. amazing. When your six, six husband can stand up inside of it, it's, it's a good size van. <laughs> That's um, awesome. 
And so I'm like immediately say, uh, yes, we're interested, but you know, give me more details. Cause then of course your mind spins like yeah. where has she been the last four months? Where has he been the last four months? You know, yeah. is it a boy or a girl? She's safe. Is she healthy? Is she? Mm. And he said, I'll get back to you in two hours. I was like, um, okay. I'm sorry, that won't work for me. Um, no, I'm driving in a car. And no. Um, and so, sure enough, two hours later of me, like, as much as you can pace, you, which you probably literally could pace inside of my vehicle. But in this case, no, it was just rocking. Um, he basically texts and says, um, well, tells us all the details. She's four months old. Birth mom um, has another child that's in foster care that she's wanting to get out of foster care. This is adding to that. Um, and she, birth mom actually grew up wanting to be put up for adoption and just really feels like it's what's supposed to happen for her. Wow. Birth mom's a believer yeah. and she had been in this beautiful Catholic maternity home and she's safe and healthy. And so are you interested? Yes, we're interested. Um, how much is it going to be? Cause at this point we had, we were dry mm. on that. <laughs> so they, they told us and we're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're all in. And he said, okay, good. Cause I already asked her and she wants you. Oh my, what? That was a risky little game. Like, hey now. <laughs> like, good thing you love God and heard from God on this one. Um, and then, you know, within minutes, a friend of mine basically texted and said, How much is it going to cost? I told her, and she said, I have it. It'll be in your account in the morning. Wow. And so we literally drove to Texas with four kids and we came home with five. We picked wow. her up. The day that we were going to be driving through her town in Southern California was the day that her mom signed the, signed the rights away. And so driving back through, because there's a 10-day waiting period in the state of California. And so we, yeah, left home with four kids, came home with five. There's a video on your Instagram account that blows me away. And it's oh, the moment yeah. that Ellie Mae has handed over to you. Mm -hmm. And what I love about you is you express just what God does to you in a moment. And you can watch it all over your face. And my heart for adoption has been in me for a long time. And so I, I, I almost magnate to people that do what you do and watching that video of Ellie Mae being handed to you going I've been waiting for you all my life yeah um, it kind of confirmed the moments where I watch some sometimes when I'm talking about adoption I might have a mother of a boyfriend that I'm dating at the time or something and the mother will go you'll never love them like your own though you never like them like oh yeah and you feel that pain like, oh my gosh what's incredible opinion <laughs> I just think but there's a justice high me that goes no I am gonna love them like my mm -hmm. own and so I want you to kind of speak into that a bit because I remember coming to you when we first started to become friends I said to you um this is what I've been told before but I don't believe it I've, I'm sure but I but I haven't known many friends until these last few years or this sort of last half decade where I've got tons of friends adopting now yeah. and they'll all go nah -uh, that's not true mm-hmm and so I loved your answer. Do you remember the answer you gave me when I, when I gave this to you? <laughs> no, tell me. <laughs> you basically said, there's something more romantic about saying to your daughter or son, I chose you. Yeah. And um, you, were, you were an intentional decision. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, your father and I had a nice bottle of Bordeaux yeah. last night <laughs> and a nice totally. Chinese. Do you know yes. what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. I love that. I yeah. absolutely love that. And I watch how you do, how you bring up your children and there's absolutely no difference. And Ellie Mae doesn't, I don't, how she kind of integrates, she's black and all, mm -hmm. all the others are white. Yeah. So I'd love to know actually how you, because I'm, you know, I'm up for bringing any culture, any diversity into my, into my life to adopt. Yeah. But yeah. what do you take in mind with that kind of thing? Because obviously we've been talking about making Ellie Mae's hair and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. talk a little bit about That's that. That's good. 
Um, I love that. Mm. So I think one thing that's important to mention that I, you know, I kind of wrestled with is this something because on the adoption journey, you have to recognize that it's not all your story to tell. So part of it, that's there's good. a lot of it that's her story to tell. It's not mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so there, there's, there's points within her journey that she's going to get to choose whether or not she shares that are not yeah. mine. Um, there is this one moment when the first night we finally, we brought her home and we had been on the road all day, obviously driving home from Southern California. And I was nursing her because I was actually able to breastfeed her because I breastfed, I, Sadie was only nine months old and I was still nursing. Um, I hate breastfeeding. Sorry. I know that's terrible, <laughs> but I hate it. And I'm the worst at it. And my kids like starve, like they shrivel up. And the pediatrician is like, you're starving your kids. Please give them some formula. Like, okay. So, but, but there was something amazing and, and super bonding for Ellie and I pretty early on, wow. um, with breastfeeding wow. her. Um, so with that, there, the first night we brought her home, I, I was sitting in the recliner in our room and I was nursing her and I just, I almost had this wave of, um, wave of fear come over me <clears throat> of like every inadequacy that I've ever had came out. Wow. And I thought, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to be enough for her. More than with your own child, like with your oh, own biological. Oh, yeah. My really? own kid, I'm like... See, this is why yeah. I think people stop doing it, because they, totally. they succumb to those fears. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is why... And, and there's this wrestling of the thought of... They're, they're, she's three and now it's not a big deal, but their day, the day may come where she hears this, but yeah. I know enough about how I parent now. Yeah. Back then, I would have said I would never... Because, of course, with that then comes shame. And, and I had this moment of like... Oh God, she's not a puppy. I can't give her back. Like <laughs> I actually real. had that thought. That's like, true. Like, and, and I don't want to give her, and, and every, the, all the miracles were there, everything. And I knew she was supposed to be mine, but yet in this moment I felt inadequate. Like I wasn't worthy to be her mom. That's wow. how I felt. Like I wasn't worthy to be her mom. And so immediately with that then comes shame and anxiety and that whole spiral of yeah. like the enemy being a scumbag. And so Bob comes in like 20 minutes later and I'm spiraled, you know, I mean, you know where your brain can go in 20 totally. minutes and he's like, and he's in like, he's in love bubble, you know, he's in like, <laughs> this is amazing. And I'm like, well, you would say that this is like your eighth child. You know what you're doing. I'm, you know, kind of freaking out here. I mean, I mean, that's the calling on his life. such an incredible. Totally. Job. He's like, he's like, this is cake for him. And right. so, so I told him and the moment the words came out of my mouth, it broke. Like, whatever was on. He didn't even have to say anything or respond. Like, yeah. the moment it, it came out of my mouth, it broke. Which I think is something that's beautiful about just yeah. covenant relationship, covenant yeah. friendship, even. Mm. Um, so then, as far as the, 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 the kind of... The, I, and I only... I tell that story just to say that I don't... N now... She is. She's, she's almost in some way, she's the soul of our family. Like she, mm. she and Sadie being five months apart, I tell Bob all the time, I'm like, Sadie would be a different child yes. if it wasn't for Ellie. Like who she is in life, her calling, her, her, her makeup, her, her viewpoint of the world, she would be a different kid if it yeah. wasn't for Ellie. Um, of course they're twins and they get into everything and they drive me freaking crazy. Yeah, it's so funny. But, um, we've had, we've had a night before I've come over to yours and, and they want to get involved in the show. They've been put to bed a while ago, mm -hmm. but they just wanted to share their yes. lungs with yes. us from upstairs. That's fun. Downstairs. That's fun. And there's lots yeah. of ups and downs, ups and downs for the stairs mm -hmm. until we, until we finally go to bed. But yeah. they, they are literally, they're like two comedians. Oh man. Just... We've had to call poison control. 
Um, so that was a fun yeah. night. Oh, and the the, the afro the hair. afro puff in her hands, <laughs> which black people hair is a big deal. So yeah. the hair thing is yeah. like it's a very big deal. It is a culturally it is a big deal. So this is this is my kind of like probably three cents because two cents would be far too little. So my three cents on the <laughs> white person adopting a black child. Mm. I think that one of the great and that that was a part of the inadequacy as well is wow. because I had done two years of research on adopting a black child mm. and how to take care of her hair wow. and all of those things. I, I try to be very intentional. I don't do anything with Ellie that's culturally normal in the black culture without mm. knowing the history behind it or having that's some really sort of good. an intentionality to it. Yeah. Um, so for example, like the, the, my favorite example is the little, um, like the little turbans that I put on her head, which are just amazing. the cutest thing ever. I want them, but I know I, know. I can't pull they're them They're like, mm, they're amazing. <laughs> um, and so her little turbans that, that I put on her head, I, I did research on it before I ever did it because I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know why they were culturally um, relevant to the black community. And so what's interesting is like you can actually link them back to slavery in the United States. Yeah. And the slave owners believed that it was like a sign of the fact that they were above them, like that, that the owners were above the slaves and it was a wow. sign of slavery. When wow. in, in fact, the perspective of the slaves was they actually wore them in Africa and it mm. was a reminder of who they are. So it was mm. like, it's like their helmet of courage and righteousness wow. and a reminder of who they are. And so of course that's now trickled down into like kind of what's culturally normal and relevant within the black community now. And there's other practical sides too of it, you know, kind of holding their hair down and keeping yeah. moisture in. And there's all, there's practical sides yeah. to it as well. Um, but I think that within the black community, there, there's, those are some of the points of why it's hard for them if, if a white person were to wear a turban without giving any thought to it. Wow. That, yeah. Because there, there's meaning behind it. There's meaning behind why they do braids. And when you can, I mean, you can go back centuries and see how black people have done their hair. It's a huge part of their culture. Yeah, um, whereas, which I didn't know that until she came along into your life. Totally, and I didn't either. I had no idea. Yeah, and so it's just been through lots of honestly online research and talking to friends and yeah, um, you know, and I mean, so yeah, that's 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 the component to me about if you have a white person that adopts a black child, and I know that it's a little bit of a controversial topic. It's just it's always been a dream for me and. Mm. We've had people that have been kind about it. We've had people that have been unkind. We've had people that have asked really good questions and really bad ones. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line for me is is her being black is a part of who she is, and she'll forever think it's beautiful, and That's she'll forever cool. love it. And we actually just, our puppy that we just got, Bear, yeah. he's a little black bear. He looks like a little black bear. And we got him home, and Ellie goes, Mom! And I'm like, what? And she's like, she's like he's black like me! Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's so that's why they're like, such he is black like um, you you know and then she goes and finds all the black baby Jesuses at Amma's house because <laughs> you know we live in Reading and there's four black people in the entire city um, but yeah she just so so there's this huge part of the black culture and the black heritage that honestly I feel inadequate to, to give her in completion and I'm just mm. thankful for aunties and cousins and friends mm. that can can kind of infuse that part yeah. of who she is and it's going to be a fun conversation as she gets older and with so I think some of the main the, the main kind of questions that come into adoption is do you have in your mind like how you discuss this with your adopted child? Um 
do you introduce it super early on? I've got some friends who were adopted and they didn't know until they were 12 and they had overheard it by a Oh, that's traumatizing. That's horrible. Super. So, Sorry. yeah, exactly. Exact, no, it is absolutely traumatizing. So I think my thing, I you know, and I want to ask actually about single adoption because, you know, I'm not wanting to go into the whole single dating relationship thing one more time, but... The, the ratio of females to males being mm-hmm. single is 70 to 30. Yes. Um, and there are lots of women that are not marrying but still want to be mothers. Absolutely. And um, still would like to be married. But mm-hmm. um, I came to you, I think, when one of the first questions that kind of got this ball rolling was actually going, can I adopt being single or do I need to wait for a husband mm-hmm. kind of thing? So I kind of want to go into that a, a little bit later. But I think just navigating how to do that subject. Yeah. I... I love hard conversations with my kids. Yeah. Like, I love Well, you're them. incredible at them. I just, I, 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 I'm just such a believer in the fact there should not be any topic that's, that's ever off the table Absolutely. for my kids. So, and, and I'm a believer if they're old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to receive an answer. Yeah. Um, now, I filter that answer with, you know, certain degrees of just being a parent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, my eight-year-old child, on the way to school the other day, we talked about the death penalty because he was curious about... The death penalty. I don't even know how it came up. We t- we're talking about the justice system. And well, what about if somebody asks for wow. forgiveness? And I mean, just this whole beautiful conversation. Um, mm. You know, I had, I had a friend of mine one time where I remember watching her parent, her 19-year-old daughter, through um, having sex for the first time with her boyfriend that she had been with for some time. They're now, I think they're married or engaged or something. And I, and I was literally there in the moment when she received the text that it had happened mm. and it's her oldest daughter. So it's first time navigating this. And, and I remember watching her go through this whole process and her, her response to it was my child's going to own their choices. Mm. So that's the one thing that's not going to happen here is you're not going to make excuses for your choices. Like we're going to own our choices. I'm going to help you navigate it. I'm always mm. proud of you. I always love you. Mm. Um, and so watching her navigate that, which for me as a parent would be like my worst parent nightmare mm. and seeing the grace and peace that she carried in that moment, mm. I thought, man, there's just, there's never a topic that'll be off the table. And so with Ellie, you know, we talk about her tummy mommy, um, Tummy mummy, if you're uh-huh. from the Thank UK, you. you're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome. Throw that in. Um, if you're from Australia, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so we Get talk out. about her. Yeah, sorry. Done. And podcast over. Amen. Um, we did, we talk about her and um, her brother, and so her her half brother. So we talk about them, and um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of as she gets older. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, belly buttons bring up conversation because, you know, her belly button was not created by me. It was like, yeah. the time. so there's, she's just now getting into that. Um, wow. you know, she knows that mom is white and dad is, she doesn't really call dad white. I don't even know what category Bob would be in. Like dad looks Viking. like Moses, but yes, yeah, like, like a Viking Moses. Like you just stepped off a Viking ship. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, she knows mom is white and she is not. And that everyone else is white and she is not. She, that's very new. And it's, it's, mm. but it's this beautiful path of discovery. And I think when we remove the fear, mm. it's just a journey. You know what I mean? And yeah. we know that bad stuff's going to happen. We know that hard conversations are going to happen, but man, go for them. Cause those are the best, you know, yeah. those are the best. So yeah. anyway, that's my thought on that. So it's never too young a time to tell them never I, to, you know, I like, I like your answer in the sense of like, if they ask me a question, 
they're old enough to know an answer. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, it's just easier if early on, I mean, we have pictures of, I, I keep mm. trying to not say her name. Like every time I say her, I keep trying to not say yeah. her name. But we have pictures of her. So we've looked at pictures of, of um, her tummy mummy. And I have video yeah. of her singing the day that we Aww. adopted her. There's this beautiful Mary Mary song that it's like, I just can't give up now. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me it was going to be easy but I don't believe he's brought me this far to leave me. And so she's singing this song in the room with 15 of us. I'm holding Ellie. Everyone is weeping. And it was like, it was the most powerful wow. presence of the Lord I've ever felt. And so she, so, so Ellie, and Ellie has a gift of music on her life. Like she just has this gift of music that I know comes from her. Yeah. Um, so and yeah. contact wise, what are your thoughts about being in contact with? Great question. Um, so our adoption attorney, um, he was brilliant. He gave a brilliant answer to this question because originally I said we wanted semi-open, which basically means we communicate through a third party being okay. the attorney. And he said, you know, he is, it's totally up to you and I trust whatever you want to do. And if you want us to be third party, we're willing, but I've been doing this for 30 years. And this is the one decision that this parent gets to make for their child. They don't get to decide where they go to school mm. or you know, anything. They don't get to make a thousand, what they eat for breakfast yeah. every day. They don't get to make any other decision, but they get to decide this. And they take a lot of pride and ownership in their decision. And she said, I've never seen any of them try to go back on their decision. Um, now I understand every state has different laws and you do, you have those horror, horror stories. Mm. And I don't know what it is about horror stories that seem to shine out above the others. I know. Um, and even in adoptions, it's almost like, you know, we, we can... We, and I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm just going to say this really tenderly, but we can totally celebrate when somebody who's been barren gets pregnant and it's, there's this huge celebration around that. Mm. But man, there's so many miracles that happen in the adoption environment. Yes. And I think those are some of the stories that are just They're lost. beautiful and they do kind of get lost. Yeah. It feels like the, the horror stories are the ones that get highlighted. It's so true. Um, so what was the question you asked me? <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. I have so many. That's the problem. The birth mom. The Talk birth, the birth mom. mom. Being in contact yes. with them, semi-open. Yes. So that's the decision she gets to make, is it? Yes. Yeah, so then, well, it's kind of a mutual decision, and it's one okay. that's typically made before the adoption really? actually takes place. That's awesome. Um, and so for us with her, I said, listen, here's my email and my cell phone number. You're welcome to reach out to me. And she wanted some distance for just a little while. Mm. So for about two months or so, we didn't hear from her. Mm. Um, and then right before Christmas, we did. So I was able to send her a little mm. gift and some pictures and stuff like that. And now I have her cell phone number and I can text her pictures from time to time. That's awesome. and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's, um, it's a conversation that one, one day, you know, Ellie's going to have questions that I can't answer. Yeah. And I'm grateful that we have her tummy mom to be yeah. able to answer those questions. And it's actually something where I don't think we could ever do an international adoption or an adoption where there was no ability to have a contact with a birth mom. Um, because if you look, if you think about that as adults, mm. that would just be hard. You know, if you have one sibling that has a great connection and knows who their, her birth mom is versus somebody that has no perspective on it. So, it's so true actually, because literally before I came into this podcast with you today, I sat down with my team of five and one of them is um, such an amazing man. He's married to um, a, a beautiful woman. And they're both, they like to be called little people, um, also okay. known as two yes. dwarfs yes. who are married. Yes. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, they're going through the journey of legacy and family and all that kind of thing. And they're very aware, And because um, we were talking about questions to ask you and what would you want to know if you're talking about adoption? 
and they were talking about this whole kind of community in Asia um, where because of the, the, the standards in the culture of like you just have one child, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of little people in Asia are given up for adoption. Yeah. And they were looking into potentially one day they, they would want to adopt. And so then we thought about, oh gosh, we're international adoption how what yeah. does that bring in because yeah. there are also two two forms of adoption private and and going through in my case being in Redding, California it would be Shasta Children's Services mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I did actually ring them one time and I said just out of interest like this is my dream to actually adopt mm-hmm. one day and just out of interest um I'm on a particular work visa that is not citizenship mm-hmm. so am I even allowed to adopt <laughs> America. You, you, you're talking about when you called Shasta County. Yeah. Yes, so I called yes. Shasta County and um, got th- straight through to a really helpful person. I said, I'm just experimenting. I don't want to mm-hmm. kind of get anyone's hopes up in this phone call. But I basically <laughs> said, I literally am just looking at adoption and um, I'm British. And as you can tell by my, I, I put on my very British accent when I'm trying to be really impressive <laughs> in America. Hello. Like, yes, like, I am very How you open the podcast? How are you? Hello, darling. Again. Um, so I literally, and I said, is it going to be an issue with me being a British worker in America mm-hmm. to be able to adopt? And she went, oh, we don't actually even ask that question. That's a mm. good point. We don't actually ask them. She said, the only thing we would ask is that you take them with you <laughs> to the country <laughs> that you're from. And I went, well, that's a fair point. Now, I wasn't looking for a return, but thank you. <laughs> so we had this great laugh on the phone and I, it kind of, I just wanted to, in the journey of adoption is such a tender heart issue. Mm-hmm. That I, I even just, even just on that, like, I don't want to dream of like adopting in America if I can't, um, or if it's going to cost me one million dollars <laughs> to be able to do it. Um, but, but what's the journey between a private adoption, which might cost everything from thirty to fifty thousand dollars, to calling Shasta County and going? One thing I'm noticing is it's more likely to go through foster before mm-hmm. adoption. And Absolutely. I, and I kind of just on a personal level, I was like, can I do that? alone without having a teammate to navigate through giving back mm-hmm. a child if I were to foster mm-hmm. um, and that's the question I'm asking but you've got friends that mm-hmm. have done that have fostered children am I right yes and they're single mums mm-hmm. yes so I have um she is a, a friend of a close friend of mine her assistant um and she did an adoption she has it hasn't finalized yet Mm. Um, but it's been quite a journey and I mean she I I love the fact that she celebrated every moment and it was almost like you know as a a parent you always and I'm sure especially as a foster parent even though I haven't been on that side of it um, but there's always that risk right and she Mm. I I think understandably so you kind of guard your heart a little bit because what else do you do and she never did that she never guarded her heart I mean zero heart guarding at all wow. <laughs> you know I'm like first birthday parties all out in Disneyland and wow. all, all that stuff and and so you know when when it turns out that sure enough she is going to be able to adopt her I mean it was like the whole community around her is just wow. we're, everyone is on cloud nine and kind of waiting for that day when she can post a picture of the baby's face on social media because yeah. she can't do that yet of course yeah yeah um we have some other friends of ours who she they their their family basically doubled from four to eight in less than six months so they went she was pregnant oh uh, my gave, word pregnant gave birth uh, nine weeks after their foster baby and then <laughs> now they're getting the two siblings of foster baby and so yeah their, their family doubled in, in less than six months. That's quite and a then, choice. 
And it, yeah. And then what's crazy is they, so they had, she had just given birth to her baby. They had this little, you know, three month old foster baby mm-hmm. and social services called and said, can you take an eight month old infant? And they're like, uh, wow. Mm, mm, no. We're <laughs> Sorry, a max we, capacity. We can't, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, obviously with the work that I do in the community, I'm, I'm acutely aware of the desperate need for foster parents in our community. Like I am so aware of that. Um, and we had a couple times where we had foster parents that kind of were like, really, you're going to, you're going to get a baby from Southern California when we had these babies here. And, and, you know, so pretty early on, I think the question of which way do you go in the foster care or foster to adopt or the international adoption or the private, mm. what, what birth mom, I think, I think the biggest thing is you have to know which way you're like, that's the decision, right? That's the question. Which yeah. way do we go? And it's, you don't have to know the whole journey. You won't know the whole journey, Yeah. but it's just like with anything else, with anything else. Like, mm. um, I don't know why it is with adoption. I know the cost can feel really overwhelming for people, but yet with, with so many other things in life, you know, especially people who are walking with the Lord, I think that we just, we sort of trust him, you know, like yeah. we trust him that the, the next step will be there when it needs to be there. Um, and so I think my recommendation is always, man, just take that first step, like pick up the phone and call Shasta County yeah. and ask the questions and then say, oh, okay, so now I have this answer. Oh wait, no, no, maybe that's not the way I should go. Yeah. Okay. So what's, who's the, yeah. who's the next person I should call? So I think that's, I, I always just recommend people take the first step. And even if they're thinking, well, I don't want to adopt for another three or four years. Well, it, it can take some time. And the good news is, is you always get asked. Like, it's not yeah. like they just drop children off on your front door without yeah. asking your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a parent. I think, yes. I think um, what I find so interesting in, in not making this about me, but I, I do, but I will. Um, <laughs> I do find it really interesting. I go, I go to different people with a thousand different opinions because I'll go... You know, I'm 37, I, I've always had a heart to adopt, I always imagined it would be with someone that I'm married to, yeah. but there's also, I, I've had this dream and I feel it's pretty prophetic and I was told that I would be adopting as, potentially as well as having my own, but I, I remember coming to you as one of the first people and I probably only shared this with about five for about two years, about... Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about it. It's starting to be a much bigger reality on my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I also don't want. I, you know, my mother asked me a really good question, which was, "Let's just make sure that this isn't something to fulfill your own emotional need." Mm. Which I thought was a really brilliant Beautiful. question. I love your mum. Oh, she's yes. a phenomenal woman. Yes. And um, and I went, yeah, that's a really good. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I, I love being challenged by those closest in my life about mm-hmm. this because then I know that if I go into an informed decision and it's covered and said yes by those my committee of people, yeah. then I'm like, we're good to go. Yeah. So I came to you and I go, would you, would I, should I adopt being single or should I just wait? Because I know as a pastor, I knew yourself and counseled so many people through this journey and you're doing Children's Legacy Centre, mm-hmm. which maybe we should talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but that is looking at the welfare and the care of children, how they're raised and brought up, basically, mm-hmm. and making sure that they're getting um, as little harm to mm-hmm. them as possible at such a young age. And so the same goes for me. It's like, oh, but I don't have a father for them mm-hmm. if I'm being a single mother choosing this journey. Am I yeah. taking them away from the opportunity of having a father um, in, the, in, the, in the very early days of adoption? So mm-hmm. just, just give me your answer again, but for the public. Oh. <laughs> I love how you're I'm like I feel like I love how you're like remember what you said six months ago I'm like, like I don't remember what I said yesterday <laughs> friend no. um I guess 
I guess I feel like as, as someone who has seen um, just just the alternative options, if if whether we're talking about um, le like let's just talk about Shasta County for a moment. If we're, if I'm yeah. looking for somebody looking at somebody obviously who's seen the alternative options, that's an easy in my head answer. Um, the in my heart answer is uh, I I so I feel like you have an ability to. Um, be self-reflective in a way that's not harmful. Yeah. And you know yourself well. Yeah. Like you know who you are. You know yourself. Um, you 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 just you set you set up good boundaries on your own heart, like for yourself. Not I mean obviously relationally and all that as well. Yeah. And so, I I don't think it would be a decision that you would make lightly. And and the thing is, is there there's. There's 45 decisions along the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And at each crossroad of those decisions, you go before the Lord or you go before your council of people or yeah. you do both. And, yeah. Um, and so my answer is, you know, obviously, hell yes. Like, <laughs> like just go for it, man. I, yeah, go for it. And then, you know, when baby's keeping you up, come hang out with me and yeah. we'll stay up and drink a cup of tea <laughs> in the middle of the night with your baby. Um because you do, I think you have this beautiful tribe of people and you have a supportive yeah. community. And so, so my answer is, it's always going to be yes. So the key would be actually the community around you. So they did actually yeah. have good male mm -hmm. figures. Cause I feel like I, you know, if I were to do that in that decision, I've got Bob, mm -hmm. I've got my friend's husbands, Absolutely. I've got brilliant male friends Absolutely. who are super wise and super brilliant. But what's funny is that most of my male friends are like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend's like, yes, do it, please. Do yeah. It. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. So I find it quite interesting that the males are slowly following up, <laughs> apart from my boss, who is like, yes, do it. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, Gabe, if I were going, to going down the private route, that it could be up to 50000 I don't know, $50,000. Like, he said, my wife uh, donates so much of our money to people we don't know <laughs> who is looking for a job. And I'm like, oh, so you think we'd be going? He said, you have no idea how many people <laughs> would donate for your child. And I was like, that's probably a real thing. It's true. But I think it it's is very a community, true. isn't it? Really? Because mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, yeah. And I think, you know, there was this moment where I was traveling home from Texas after my mom had passed away. Mm. And we had been there for six or eight weeks, a long time. And it was like, we were all ready to be home. And Eli was a baby and. Bob, we were at the airport and um, Bob wasn't with me because he was driving the U-Haul truck full of massive, you know, being an only child, you collect basically. And then when your mom dies, you're like, oh gosh, I'm going to keep this receipt because she touched it. You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's like, that well, is this, so true. this goes in the eventually to be thrown box, but for now I'm hoarding I know. it. Yeah. I have so, one shoe from somewhere. Yes. I don't have the other pair, but my, it was a, my dad's trainer. And yes. I'm like, no one's ever going to use it. He hated them, but I am keeping I'm it. I'm having them cast in bronze <laughs> and put on my shelf. Yeah. Just the one, because yeah. I can't find the other. <laughs> it's so funny. So Bob was driving the U-Haul truck full of signed receipts and everything else back to California from Texas. And, and so it was myself and our assistant, Lee, that was flying with the kids. And Ari's shoe came untied, and Lee was doing all the bags, and she had gone ahead because we were getting coffee because God knows we needed it. And Lee was uh, your assistant. Lee was the time. assistant, mm -hmm. yeah, mm. that, like, walked us through that whole journey wow. of um, awesome. mom. And, and so Ari's shoe came untied, and I was holding the baby, and I had a backpack on, and this sweet little woman that was probably about my mom's age bends down and ties her shoe. Stop it. And the moment it came untied, 
And I walked away and I just lost it because I knew that the mm. Lord, and I'm going to cry because I know we're probably not supposed to talk about Kath in this room, but she's in the room, even though Thank she's you. the silent backgrounder she person. She never lets me talk <laughs> Kathleen is the one that sets these podcasts up, just record, and she always sits there on every podcast and she never lets me mention her. Thank you. See, now my guest is finally saying it. And so, and so I just, I knew the Lord was going to bring people into my kids' yeah. lives to fill this void that I thought, and that's... And, Which is Kathleen. And, and Kathleen is, yes, Without Kathleen question. is definitely, oh. definitely at the top of that list. I mean, you know, and we have, I have a friend of ours, Christy, that like sent my kids these massive boxes of Christmas presents. You know what I mean? Because it's like their one living grand, grandparent oh. has 468,000 <laughs> grandchildren, <laughs> Grandma Johnson. I can't um, get over that. So, so I think that that's, that's the thing, right? Mm. Is that I think when we say yes to the Lord, that he just, he fulfills our every need. And so yeah. if we assume that he's going to do that for us, why wouldn't he do that for a child yeah. um, that was once an orphan, that it would no longer be an orphan. And I love, Le- I love kind of watching Lisa Harper's journey from a little bit of a distance. Oh, wow. That's been a beautiful journey to watch. She adopted a, a little girl, I believe from Haiti, I think. Mm. Um, so that, I think that's a beautiful kind mm. of story to watch of her, her adoption mm. with her daughter. And, you know, and she had somebody come up to her when she was in her, she was in her early forties, mid forties and basically said something like, you know, I know you were abused as a child and just in case you're, you still have any trauma from that, you wouldn't want to pass it on to a child. So maybe you should get a dog. And so, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. You want to talk about that poor dog? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like you're really good with animals so maybe you should get a dog or something wow so yeah I, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut on what I really wanna say about I that sure but so she did she, so she put all the adoption paperwork away and went and got a dog um, wow she said another dog she had a lot of dogs and then many <laughs> many years later at I think 52 something like that she decided to go for it again and wow found this little girl and I mean the story is just oh it just makes you weep and so, yeah, I just, think. I mean, that's, in fact, I was, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can adopt, um, adopt, I was about to say adopt a 52 year old woman. <laughs> <laughs> I meant talk to a 52 year old woman who's, um, just looked into, um, well, no did. And, um, she took on an embryonic donation, which you taught me about cause I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was a thing, but mm-hmm. that's essentially, um, embryos from IVF treatments mm-hmm. of parents that don't want to carry on. Um, IVF treatment because they've yes. had their children yes. they're good thanks very much but they've got these eggs left yes and um, on an ethical basis there um, are many women starting to take on those rather than look at sperm donation mm-hmm. and uh, you introduced me to that thought and my mother's face went white sorry mum sorry the epic tale of the neo-virgin <laughs> being pregnant that is pregnant without the immaculate conception anyway i thought it'd make a great headline well it would make a great story it'd make a great story Um, thanks for thanks for throwing me under the bus that i was the one that (laughs) (laughs) that no No, i love it but um there is a woman in washington uh who's 52 that's just done the same thing i actually really hope that i can try and interview her at some point i'm going to reach out to her and ask if i can because i just think it's a really fascinating ethical conversation Jen. absolutely mm-hmm. um and it's just coming on to the the kind of you know two of my friends who've they've adopted two children they said if we'd known about embryonic donation we probably would have done that as well mm-hmm. um just as a journey so um which is a whole nother topic probably for another time but just tell us a little bit about 
children's legacy center and what you're actually working on right now because i yeah. think it's pretty powerful yeah if absolutely people aren't ready or can't for whatever reason do adoption mm-hmm. in this particular moment in time then there are things to sort of feed into and yeah. help towards mm-hmm. and i think what you're doing is one of them oh thank you friend uh, well, the Children's Legacy Center project really um, originally in my head was started out as a children's village. You know, there's yeah. a, a large six to ten million dollar project, um, Shasta County, multiple parent houses. And, and the one thing that I couldn't, I, I wrote a 72 page business plan because I'm a little type A. <laughs> and the one thing that I wouldn't uh, include in my 72 page business plan is uh, what was in the community center. I like I wouldn't touch that. And because my dream was to gather leaders of our community, not just our city, but the surrounding areas as well, and say, what is it that you need? And put that in there. And so then fast forward, uh, March of 2016, and I was in a SART team, which is the sexual assault response team. So anyone that's involved in a sexual assault in Chasta County of a minor or an adult. Uh, so everyone from law enforcement to advocacy to nonprofits to medical, uh, DA's office, um, CPS, everyone. Children, it's called Children's Services here locally. Um, but so they're all in the room and there's one item on the dog. It's children's advocacy center. And I'd never heard of it, but I'm listening as this collective voice of people is saying, this is our greatest need that we have in Chester mm-hmm. County. And so I kind of packed up my 75 page business plan, 72 page business plan. And, um, went into the office of the one, one of the people who works at children's services that I had the closest relationship with and basically begged to be a part of this project. <laughs> like, let me do this. Yeah. Um, and basically the model, um, started over 30 years ago in Huntsville, Alabama. It was a district attorney's office that wanted to bring together law enforcement and children's services for the sake of abused children in their community. So the model here, we have, um, everyone on board, which is really, really humbling to say. Mm. Um, so we have Reading Police Department, Anderson Police Department, Shasta County Sheriff's Office. Um, we have the DA's office. We have uh, Health and Human Services, Children's Services Agency. Uh, which obviously includes children's services and mental health. And then we have uh, Shasta Community Health Center. So our pediatrician on our team actually does all of the sexual assault exams of minors of, of pediatrics in Shasta County and the surrounding. Um, and so that that's kind of who makes up um, our team is all those people. And then there's me. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know what my, I don't know what my role is, but man, this is amazing that I get to be a part and help facilitate this project. Yeah. So, Basically, we'll serve any child ages 17 and under who is uh, physically abused, severely neglected, witnesses of violent cl- crime, trafficked, um, or sexually assaulted. And any of those kids right now are having to retell the story of their abuse anywhere from 6 to upwards of 11 times. Um, and so it's highly, highly, highly traumatizing on yeah. the children to have to retell their stories over and over and over and over and over again. And their families. They're not offending family members. Um, and so this model actually is kind of a, it's just a collaborative among all those agencies. So the building that we're looking at, um, that's kind of our dream building would actually house each of those agencies. So every one of those agencies I listed would have representation full time, uh, mm. in the, in the facility and the children would come into the center. They would receive a forensic interview by somebody who specializes in asking children hard questions without re-traumatizing them. And then on the other side of the hallway, there's a room that has a large TV monitor and a microphone that feeds into the interviewer. And a representative from each agency um, that's involved in the case is around the table. Statistically, Children's Advocacy Center models are shown to increase prosecution rates by over 200%. They lower the cost of child abuse prosecution by 36%. 
and then they see super successful long-term outcomes because we will provide full mental health services for the children long-term. Um, everything from like a courthouse dog that will be with them when wow. they have to testify um, against their perpetrator should they have to. And, um, and then I've we'll, never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's a That's really wild. cool program. It's like, it is like f- flipping getting into Harvard is easier than getting a courthouse <laughs> dog, but it's a great program and I'm going to get us a courthouse dog. That's it. so good. Um, and it's so far of the Children's Advocacy Center models, there's over 900 ac- across the world. I haven't found one yet that also includes a housing component, which ours will. Um, so we'll yeah. actually have six beds that will be an emergency assessment center. Um, so kids will get a full assessment done which already happens right now with kids coming into foster care. This one, this one will be um, include obviously include that, but then we'll also uh, full medical, dental, mental health, children's services will do their assessment. And then um, the education system will also do their assessment on the child. So then that way we can have a place for the child to stay in order to find the ideal foster family household wow. um, or resource family, not just what is the most emergent, but the ideal one. Wow. So. That is. I just motto. wish you were more useful for the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm kind of bored, I so I'm gonna start selling um, equine omega horse <laughs> 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 supplements. <laughs> oh gosh, Kim, thanks so much. Oh, this is fun. I just, I love you so much. I love what you stand for. I love what you represent, and um, you've been an inspiration to me for a long time. And it's just such a blessing to have you as a friend. And um, just give, like, one reason. If people are on the fence as to why they... If, if they're thinking about adoption, give a couple of reasons why they should. Um, 30% of people who are faith-based consider adoption, and only 1% actually do. But if 7% did, there would be no more orphans in the world. And so there's this 6% gap of people... And we've just got to get 29%. So yeah. That 29%, we've got to get the 6% to say yeah. yes. And, and just don't be afraid of hard stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? And, I mean, if you've considered it, do it. I think, I think, if we, I think we, we, expect, we expect the Lord to drop stuff in our lap. And, and, and sometimes that ha- does happen. Don't get me wrong. Like There yeah. are things that he does speak to us like that. But most, most of the time on things like this, it's the whisper. And so he's going to whisper, he's going to plant a small seed, and then he's going to expect you to take a step and trust him to be faithful along the way. So take a step. That would be what I would say. For the record, there are four people in the room and we're all trying to hold back our tears. (laughs) (laughs) It's something when Kim says something, I'm like, okay, I will. You're like, I'm calling them tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, friend. I love you. I love you. You're amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for checking into the Carrie Lloyd podcast. Um, If you loved it, share it. Um, You can follow me on Instagram at Carrie Gracie, Facebook at uh, Carrie Lloyd, and Twitter at Carrie Gracie. Um, We do have a website, which is CarrieLloyd.net. And if you have any questions of any sort, um, then you can just email me at Carrie at CarrieLloyd.net.